What's going on, guys? It is Wednesday, February 12th. This week on the podcast, CEO Ben Jorgensen and co-founder Benjamin Diggles join me to discuss the Constellation Network. Constellation is a distributed network that enables fast, scalable solutions for organizations who need to process and transfer data securely and build interoperability for connected sensors and devices. So both Ben's and I really dig into Constellation and talk a lot about where it's going and what it's already done, and I think there's a lot of value that you guys will take out of this episode. With that said, if you guys enjoy the episode, go into the description below and click on the link to make a contribution to the podcast so that we can help keep those ads away just a little bit longer. Also, if you have not already, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain and the Constellation Network. All right, enjoy. This is the Block Hash Podcast. All right, Ben, Benjamin, how are you guys doing? Doing great, Brandon. How are you? Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, absolutely. So before we go ahead and jump into our discussion, give me a little bit of background about both of you so that the audience can kind of get familiar with who you guys are, um, what you guys do, and like where you guys started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, first and foremost, again, thanks for having us here. Um, really appreciate making the time and uh, selecting us to participate in this podcast. Um, this is Benjamin Diggles speaking. Um, I started out as the VP of business development. My background's in business development. Um, more recently, I'm the chief revenue officer and a co-founder of Constellation Network. Um, my role really is predicated on working with enterprise constituents, um, the academia space, uh, as well as government engagements. So just general partnerships and go to market. Um, and yeah, I've been uh, really excited about this project. I'm really happy to be a part of it. It's been really wild. I'm excited to share more about our experience. Yeah, thanks. Um Great intro, Benjamin. Uh, this is Ben Jorgensen, CEO of Constellation, and um, really responsible for the strategy, shaping the vision from uh, technical to commercialization uh, and productizing a lot of Constellation. Um, so, uh, you know, a little bit of my background and, and maybe kind of a, a fun little fact and, and uh, where I come from is uh, I spent several years building an ad tech company. Uh, where we ingested digital music into dynamic ad placement. So we use machine learning to choose music to be targeted with, say, like a, uh, a Nike ad. Uh, and everybody would have a different profile of, of music and drive more engagement. And really what I saw there was a, an opportunity to, to get out of the ad advertising industry. Is it was, It's really kind of difficult and they didn't have like a big mission uh, statement. And so we sold the company in 2015 and got on a path of, of what I call a search fund where I was looking uh, kind of an exploration around how, how I am as a leader and my strengths and um, my ability to identify good new technologies that are coming out um, and how to drive uh, adoption and leadership within those organizations. Uh, and that's really where we found Constellation and I met Wyatt, um, our other co-founder and, and the vision of the tech on the tech side of things uh, where he had this vision of creating Constellation. Um, and we, we dove in and have created quite a, a, a storm over the past uh, several years, if I may say so. 
Yeah, it sounds like what you do, guys are doing is really cool. Um, spent a lot of time looking at your guys' website and all the information you guys have put out. And obviously, we've had a conversation already. So what is Constellation Network like in a nutshell before we get into the weeds? Yeah, well, I, I think in order to describe Constellation, it's maybe good to to frame a worldview, if you will. And, you know, a lot of what we saw in 2019 over well at, over the past several years, and especially in 2019, we saw about $120 billion be invested into cybersecurity technologies. Um, and yet we still are seeing uh, billions of dollars in data breaches, loss of personal identity. Uh, and we're seeing uh, big tech companies double down on cybersecurity as well, like Facebook and Google and Amazon, uh, Microsoft, all doubling down on cybersecurity because uh, it's still not a fixed problem. And so where Constellation kind of comes in is that we saw this opportunity to uh, create uh, developer tools um, and uh, or data infrastructure tools and combine the best of, of big data, you know, a, a $50 billion plus industry. Um, and connect that with cybersecurity and use blockchain. So what Constellation is doing is we're, we're building uh, an open source secure communications protocol uh, or a, a standard that developers can use, a standard like TCP, where developers can use uh, at early points in their development process. So when they're building websites uh, and building out data pipelines, they can actually use our tools to integrate security at early, early, early stages in the development process. And so that's a little bit of the high level uh, in what we're doing. And the, the opportunity in the blockchain space that we saw was that existing protocols like Ethereum and even in Bitcoin, um, you, they were hitting kind of throughput limitations, speed, uh, speed capabilities that weren't commercially viable. And so Constellation saw this opportunity to rethink uh, infrastructure and, and tooling uh, to create an asynchronous blockchain that could scale indefinitely uh, and actually drive a, a path to commercialization. So what we focus on is providing uh, compatible data infrastructure tools um, to make it easy for people to adopt blockchain. That was that was more than a simple process, but I thought it'd be necessary to frame <laughs> right. that. When you guys mentioned cybersecurity, are you talking about handling like like customer data better, or like security around code, or like what? Can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah. So when we look at data security, we look at three different types of data security. You talk about data and rest, which is cybersecurity around data warehouses. Data and transit—that's the data that tr that's transported between. Uh, devices or legacy infrastructure and data in use. Um, so data being able to be um, referenced in uh, machine learning algorithms, right, which need tons and tons of data for them to be able to process appropriately. So when we talk about data, uh, data security, we're talking about uh, data streams. We're talking about anything from uh, personal information to device information, uh, that needs to be uh, encrypted across the process. And Constellation's focus are two uh, of the two of the three tiers. We, we primarily tackle data tra transportation, data in use, um, and that's that's a that's kind of where we've positioned ourselves. Is those are the hardest areas uh, to cryptographically secure data. 
So for in terms of like these institutions that you're targeting, is it just big data or are you look, guys looking at like big pharma as well or banking? Yeah, I mean, great question. So you got Benjamin Diggles here. You know, one of the things that we found ourselves early on as far as um, the private sector or I guess the commercial sector was mobility. Um, and the reason we landed in mobility and just to mention, we're part of Mobi. We were an early member of Mobi. It's the largest consortia in the mobility mm -hmm. space really predicated around distributed ledger technology and data. Um, and the reason we landed on mobility is because, you know, that sector is creating a lot of data. I mean, also, there's a large requirement for interoperability and security. You know, you think about these autonomous networks, there's just not the pathway to send, you know, data over the air that it could be spoofed, it could be hacked, there's IP that they don't want to share. They don't want a single institution like Amazon or Google to own the network. And so distributed ledger technology has really um, allowed for an unlocking and I feel like a renaissance in that mobility space. Are we mobility background? No. And we're not really a mobility company, but that really paints the, the I guess, the necessity of a solution like this, which is streaming data that's coming off of a lot of sensors and cars that needs to interoperate as close to the edge as possible. And some of these solutions that, uh, you know, Mr. Jorgensen just touched on, they're just not up for, for that sort of, um, you know, orchestration. So um, while health healthcare, when you think about a lot of bed sensors and that sort of thing, anything that's creating a lot of IoT type of porous networks that has a lot of data, sure, we'll probably see um, Constellation see adoption in those markets. Um, but largely right now, we're focused on the mobility sector, um, which really is a perfect example of, of streaming data or data in transit. Um, and then we also work in the public sector with the U.S. government in initiatives that are uh, largely the same. Yeah, that's interesting in terms of the mobility sector. Are, are they creating like all these data streams already, like with the cars and like where they're going and like these highway networks and stuff like that? Or is there another aspect to it? So no, I'm not very educated on that part. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think that generally speaking, the public's like, why haven't autonomous cars been out there yet? What's happening? You know, it seems like this should have been around for a, a, you know, a while ago, but there's a lot of reasons why it's very hard to do this. There's no incentive for a Toyota to pass its LiDAR data three or four cars down to a Ford, which is really a necessity to allow that network to be smart enough for everybody to be safe and for it to autonomously be flexible. Um, so therefore, uh, what we're seeing is the average autonomous vehicle creates upwards of four to 5,000 terabytes of data every 24 hours. And that's a lot Jeez. to rectify. And so when you think about central servers, which really has been the large push in the last 10 years, which is, quote unquote, move to the cloud, everything moves to the cloud. And I think that the cloud plays a huge role, and I'm glad that that stuff took place. But if a car needs to make a decision in real time on the edge that's orchestrating a lot of devices within a, a local network, um, there's no time, even if you have 5G, for that data to go up to a central server and then come down and have that validated truth to make sure that it, it, um, it, it does the right thing. So there's a huge demand for it. We're actually seeing some of these companies that have largely been mortal enemies in the past, like a Daimler and a BMW, they're starting to get in bed together and form strategic partnerships because they see that this is going to be that barrier that, that once they get over, opens up a whole new myriad of services, but also reduces the loss of life that currently is taking place within uh, automobiles. Yeah. I, I was talking to someone on the podcast, not too recently about um, how all these companies are so have always been so competitive with each other because of capitalism. Um, but using certain um, methods with blockchain, you're able to share your data with these other companies and to cooperate. 
um, while at the same time not exposing your IP, while at the same time not exposing certain key points in your data that would compromise your ability to to profit and stuff like that. So I can kind of see like all the benefits that go into that. Yeah, the, I mean, there's a, a ton of benefits into uh, one. We've got to create a, an ecosystem uh, that shares data, not just to make sure things function, but to enrich data sets so that they learn appropriately. And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, for autonomous vehicles to exist, uh, we need to know that the data sources on where it's being generated, all the different devices and sensors um, are, are actually uh, secure and they're not spoofed, right? Think about what would happen if one of those sensors um, started giving false, false reads on data. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not working. The data, the, the device is working. It's just giving us false a read. And that, that device that's spinning off that data then takes that data and they apply it to machine learning or artificial intelligence that computes all that information to provide some sort of output. So think about the repercussions that could happen without validated, secured data at the source. It can have compounded uh, impact across the entire output of an autonomous vehicle, right? Um, and so when you look at, wow, you look at this point, like Diggles was saying, um, we have to look at cooperation, not in terms of like sharing IP, like you said, but creating a better net positive output, right? Creating the next big thing because it's going to make everybody uh, faster, cheaper, and stronger in the space and more competitive. Um, and so I, I think what you find here is that people are realizing that like, okay, we've created this like hardware technology that, that works really well. But the software component around and the ability to produce that much data, we have to rethink our architecture. We can't store all that data into a cloud. Um, that That's very expensive and it's very slow and timely. So we have to think about these like zero trust networks or these decentralized networks that can empower uh, security at the edge and high computation at the edge uh, and decipher what data goes into those, those very intelligent um, algorithms that produce the output of an autonomous car. Yeah, absolutely. Have you guys had any use cases already? Uh, well, it's interesting because the use cases when it comes to an infrastructure tool is a little different. And I think people largely are, you know, I've heard Ben talk about this uh, a lot, how they're often trained, our brains are on the application layer. Um, so when people are looking for use cases, they often look for kind of that app, the application where we're really looking at kind of the utility. And I know that's a nuance between the two. Um, right now, when you think about Mobi and what we're working on with these, you know, tier one suppliers and OEMs in the world um, is around working standards. And, and that's really important. Like we're a part of um, a working standards group right now that has standardized the way data is being transferred between these players, because if everybody in the network isn't agreeing on how we're going to market and going to um, production with these standards, then it's just going to be a mess. Um, and I'm thrilled because I'm a partner guy. I used to be at Oracle prior to uh, joining Constellation, was a big part of their technical partnerships team. And I'll tell you what, it's just awesome to see the collaborations that's taking place because it doesn't matter if we have like a Tesla that has all sorts of amazing technology on it across the board. If these protocols or these technologies are not communicating with each other, it's a moot point. And 
that's really the core of what we're focused on. Um, but a good use case really that I would like to nail on, because Ben always speaks about this, and I think it's a really great lens, is preventing threat vectors. And it's something that we're not really, I guess, thinking of uh, top of mind in this climate. But when you think about the thir- you know, 90% of the world's data being created in the last three years and the U.S. Air Force creating 200 or 2,000 terabytes of data every 60 seconds, data is becoming a problem, especially with these centralized solutions. And the ability to hack and, and spoof this data that comes into one of these networks can be detrimental over time. And so with Constellation, by using development tools early on in the development cycle, we always like to say the further that data gets away from the source, the more ability it has to be corrupted, uh, manipulated, uh, and so forth. So that's why it's important to use immutable ledger technology as close to the source as possible. What's a realistic example of a threat vector in, in mobility? Oh, I mean, I, there's tons. Uh, in mobility, you could go as far as uh, a logistics center that, that manages uh, a transportation fleet. And if you were um, if you were able to if somebody were able to hack into the system, and when we say hack into the system, it isn't about extracting data so much as it is inputting data that could give false reads on uh, where an autonomous vehicle is going. Take it for example, um, a civilian crossing in the street. You know, is uh, are there five civilians? Are there one? Is it does it read like a negative that? That's just a shadow. Um, Think about how that data could be manipulated to create some sort of negative outcome that could have an economic catastrophe. That's always kind of scared me, like getting in the back of a Tesla and then putting it on autopilot or having an economy where everyone is using autopilot in in their car and they're driverless. And then someone shoots out some data that tells every driverless car to go into a ditch (laughs) or to see um, someone as a shadow instead. Yeah, and it could be as something as simple as spoofing a firmware update. I think that people often look at the large boogeymen like the DDoS attacks and stuff where the, you know, this is something that Ben has really kind of pulled my mind into, which is like those if you take a, a cruise ship and you just change the directory or the direction of it by just a, a small fraction of a percent, over time that's going to compound in your data stream and cause a, a lot of problems. And if you're really sophisticated about that, going back to those firmware updates and spoofing some of those, you can orchestrate a lot of chaos. And, and so that's, we're not trying to be a fear-based solution. That's not our, our goal whatsoever, but we do believe, you know, I've heard Ben say this many times, the next big attack is gonna be an uh, IOT attack. You know, there's just so many devices. By 2025, each individual on this planet is said to have four connected devices per person. That's like 25 billion devices globally which, um, you know, really ups the ante as far as the requirements for cybersecurity. Yeah, it's it's a realistic fear for sure. Like, I know a lot of people don't really think about it because like the whole like IoT space is like kind of just getting started and it's not like everyone is completely inundated with it yet. But like, I can see it coming a mile away and it already kind of freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think that, so there's like, there's two parts to, to Constellation. There's the, let's get this stuff, uh, it, you know, embedded as close to the source as possible, get cybersecurity part of your workflow from the beginning, great. But what we like to focus on, and this is really what Ben was talking about earlier around the open mm-hmm. network, is the possibility of these new data types that are, you know, that are being collected and how they can interoperate. I feel like that really is, while immutability is super powerful, the interoperation of this data that has been validated on the other side 
that's where everybody's kind of foaming at the mouth. I mean, naturally, when you think the DOD or the public sector, yeah, they want to secure this. Security is really important if they've got data coming off of battle rifles, as an example. I mean, there's so much data. Whereas the pub or the private sector, they look at how can I use this bulk data collection I've been sitting on and actually put it to work in a meaningful way to generate new channels of revenue with partners that usually have been off limits that we now can get, uh, you know, in partnerships together uh, because the data has, you know, that key pairing and that uh, security that uh, hasn't existed in traditional databases. Yeah, it sounds like Constellation Network's pretty re- well-rounded in, in that sense. Um and digging into it a bit more, like I know on your website, it mentions proof of reputable observation, um, which I haven't heard that term before. How does PRO differ from uh, proof of work or proof of stake per se? So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of the most popular questions and I'm going to be really candid. I had a guy from NASA, like this air sport, air force <laughs> day thing asked me, tell me about proof of reputational observation. I was, I was really intimidated, but it gave me a chance to cut my teeth on this and explain mm-hmm. to somebody that I believe is wildly, <laughs> maybe smarter than I am. Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's machine learning. If you think about at the edge, uh, we have an architecture called a directed acyclic graph, very similar to the approach of Hashgraph. Uh, IOTA, Phantom, you know, there's maybe a dozen or less of us in the world that are using this approach. And those that don't know, as data comes on, it's not a linear chain, it's an actual graph. So as more data comes through, the faster it becomes. And this is why we largely opt out of things like supply chain management and so forth. Could we make an impact there? Potentially, but we're focused on those streams that are a lot of data coming in. And so um, proof of reputational observation is really focused on creating a consensus at the edge where it's machine learning to allow for the um, reputation of the data flowing in to be validated and grow uh, from there. Yeah. So we actually came up with the the expression, which is why you haven't heard it. Uh, But basically it's using the idea that we should score or, or use a reputation to organize the state of the network. Um, and empower nodes to validate data that comes on the network. So if you take proof of work, for example, where it's uh, the more resources you contribute, you win the hash, right? So mm-hmm. um, in that example, you you know, and what we've seen with Bitcoin is that, you know, it's, it's very centralized, right? 80% of the mining power uh, happens in, in China. Uh, and so we've kind of gone through this, this we've started to see manipulation tactics happen by the people that run that proof of work. Uh, and so we, we're using proof of reputation because we believe that it, it should be you, the, the performance of the network should be based on how nodes uh, operate in past consensus behavior. Um, so what that means is that we're basically scoring people like an, like you do when you drive an Uber. Um, and mm-hmm. so when you take an Uber, you rate your driver. You add a comment. You say, he was really nice to talk to. Uh, she was fun. Um, he was a bad driver. She gave me a snack or something like that, right? And uh, you're scored. And then the driver scores you as well. And then Uber, as this, um, as this kind of uh, this layer this logistics layer pairs you up with the next best driver so that you have a improved experience working with Uber. So you keep going back to Uber because you're getting a better experience. Um, so the same thing with our network, we're using, we're, we're scoring everybody's participation uh, to better organize the network. And we think this is a more democratic approach because nobody operates 
consciously in the real world around a proof of work model. We have a, a visceral reaction to people that are the wealthiest individuals running entire countries. Um, you know, we but we praise uh, dem democracy. You know, being able to vote on the most reputable participant to represent somebody. So now take that model of real world and apply that uh, to a network. That's how, as Diggles said, machine learning runs. But it's also how real worlds function as well, is that we give merit to those that um, prove themselves. Uh, and so that's how our network is being governed. And we're uh, one of the first people to implement this. And we do this by uh, writing our own algorithms and applying that to how we run consensus. Got it. So in terms of the reputation part of it for the node, is it for the nodes or the node operator? The same thing. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. So how is that determined? Is that like determined by uptime or whether it's or not a, a node operator is being malicious? Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's a bunch of different variables, um, geolocation, uptime, past participation and consensus. Were you able to compute, uh, validate uh, the last transaction? Uh, was it too complex for you? Were you up when that happened? Um, and we take all of this and crunch it and then decide where that node or node operator uh, will participate or when they will participate next. So it would be very, 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 very difficult to break this because you can't predict when you're going to be selected for a certain, uh, for consensus. Is there an incentive in place for the node operator? And then if so, does that fluctuate based on the reputation? Yeah, um, these are all things, we're actually exploring some very interesting things around uh, validator rewards. So currently um, we're in the process of onboarding uh, roughly a hundred foundational nodes, which then will expand out to a thousand different node operators, uh, and then they're uh, then following. Uh, we'll continue to grow that, um, and so right now we've actually posted a, um, a tokenomics on on how validator rewards will be distributed out, uh, and one of the interesting things that we are exploring um, in the next several months. And it'll be fun to do a follow-up with you on uh, is around how do we how do we democratically distribute validator rewards um, and and try some interesting things around validating data and then relating that to um, the state of the network and who when rewards should be given. I can't really go into more details, but it's something that hasn't been done out there. You know, right now. Uh, Many networks operate where you just sign up, throw up a node, and you get you passively make income, right? right. Um, and so we're incorporating kind of offline and um, and multi different channels uh, of how our community is performing, um, how our token is performing, uh, how are people participating to then create an algorithm that would distribute validated validator rewards. Uh, so rewards to those people in the network based on, um, you know, overall participation or reputation of the community and other multi-channels. Uh, it's a very fascinating intellectual exercise that um, our COO, uh, Matthias Goldman, is, is spearheading right now with a few select members from our community.
Yeah, I can imagine. So like as the node network continues to grow and expand, how do you guys keep it decentralized so that someone doesn't necessarily have 51% of uh, the nodes in the network? Or like, how do you guys yeah. like circumnavigate that? Sure, that's definitely something. Um, so many networks are are very central. And I, I don't know how much... I, there's there's a blog that I really want to do on this that people think that these networks, many of the networks that are out are actually decentral, but most of them are central. 30 nodes that, that can tr- consist of an entire network is not a decentralized network. Um, for us, having 100 nodes is more decentralized than that, but having thousands will be uh, to the nth degree more decentralized, mm-hmm. right? And so you have to do it a couple different ways. One, you have to, there's a, uh, there's a difficulty of maintaining cluster stability. And why many people, many networks have not done this is that it's been nearly impossible to create a stable cluster that is infinitely expansive. Um, you're, you're talking about running very difficult algorithms to uh, do load balancing and rate limiting uh, and organizing the network to optimize uh, throughput and balance. Uh, it's been nearly impossible. So I, I, I believe that nobody's even done that uh, to date. And they found tricks to say that they are, but that's really not there. It's like a few s- central nodes, and then they've got a bunch of light nodes uh, that kind of act as participants in the network. Uh, and so where Constellation's coming in is at, from the, that's my programmatic description of how we're maintaining decentralization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a non-programmatic approach to decentralization as well. Uh, we're still not in this world that everything's programmatic. Uh, we still need to have people that, are, that participate uh, from a humanity level. So Constellation, uh, we spun up a, a couple organizations. One is called the Stardust Collective. And I want to give a huge shout out to the Stardust Collective. And the Stardust Collective is a self-organized group and a self-selected group of individuals from the community that got together and said, hey, we need to create marketing materials, educational materials that help disseminate uh, the, the message of Constellation. So that's kind of like V1 of, of governance. Uh, the second layer that Stardust Collective will be uh, focused on is is uh, funding new initiatives uh, that the the that the community wants to build. So applications that include validated data um, and the democratization, then further the mission of Constellation, the democratization of data. Um, so that that's the Stardust Collective, and then we actually have a governance uh, group as well, uh, where Constellation is just one representative on this twenty five person and or selected. Uh, organization. And the governance board is, um, is a, once again, a self-selected board of, of a different individuals that are responsible for writing the rules, the values, um, and maintaining the state of the network. Uh, so their, their initiative is to make sure that, that we kind of, that our mission is, is um, extended, but also our values and rules of how one operates within our network. So all these initiatives kind of help us achieve uh, decentralization in a way that um, that nobody else is doing in the space. Uh, And we're incorporating elements of 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 successful governments, 
um, all the way to uh, programmatic approaches and rethinking and constantly fine tuning a way for us, this, you know, Constellation core team to minimize our impact uh, and really just be founding fathers or guardrails and support where community actually drives the growth and adoption and, and birth of, of Constellation. Yeah, I really hope so. I'm excited to see like where you guys take that because I've, I've always been worried about these different consensus methods and how, um, like you were saying, like how they're not as decentralized as people think, how some, some node operators control a large part of the network or even the project itself uh, controls most of the nodes. Um, and then the difference between those type of nodes, voting and things like that. So hopefully with what you guys are doing, you create like a new standard um, for, for going about consensus in a lot of ways. No, I'm glad you said that. I mean, you know, Constellation is, uh, you know, our, our technology, the, the infrastructure tools or the developer tools, right? Like akin to like Ruby on Rails, right? Um, is, uh, is a new standard like TCP. And it's a secure communication standard that we want people and developers to, to use. We want them to incorporate uh, cybersecurity um, early in the workflow, as Benjamin said, you know, ha they need to have that tool um, when they're building a website. It's not an afterthought. Cybersecurity is not a, a bolt-on afterthought. It has to happen earlier downstream. This is why we're still seeing so much money being spent on cybersecurity because it hasn't been fixed. And so when you have a standard, you also have to create other standards. How, do, how does an open source community govern itself? And how do you drive adoption? And what are those standards? So, and then all the way down to uh, our multi-prong partnership approach um, and to the business development uh, level that, that Benjamin Diggles leads is that when you're building a standard, you can't simply sell an application. You have to sell a vision that's mission-driven and be able to take a multi-prong approach. How do we impact academia and, um, and, and get our vision supported at academia to where people are developing applications in the classroom? How do we work with the public sector when we're securing uh, mission-critical data or the private sector when we want to create a new standard in building and development of, uh, of web properties, applications, and data accountability um, and then also working with blockchain companies. How as blockchain companies can we create a standard around uh, network utility and adoption and best in class uh, uh, community involvement? Like if I wanted to run a node, how would I go about doing that? Like what are the system requirements? Um, well, we offer really two ways to run a node. Um, if you have your own hardware, uh, which typically, you know, in this uh, community, people do have, I guess, server grade, uh, you know, capacity to run something like this. And the requirements are listed on our website. We've got on constellationnetwork.io, um, the requirements, uh, technical requirements to spin up your own hardware. Um, but we feel like the, the more appropriate approach that we're really excited around is just VMs. I think that there's so much cloud computing out there. Um, we formed a relationship with StackPath, which was very strategic. Um, they're kind of a, a more of a mid-market player in that VM world, uh, opposed to uh, the classics like uh, Amazon and Azure. Um, we've been talking to AWS actually for quite a while, um, but... Let's be honest here, and if AWS is listening, when you think about us bringing 
uh, computational throughput to a new network. It actually, um, when you think about their cloud compute offering, it starts to get somewhat competitive. But on the flip side, when you think about people spinning up nodes to be able to um, facilitate this network, there's a huge opportunity for them to get in the game and start to participate in these networks in a more meaningful way. So um, right now, uh, you know, the only two options you have is a virtual machine in the cloud or you run it on your own. Um, and right now we've had, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, um, somewhere upwards of 750 to 1,000 applications yeah. of people from all over the world, I think something like 70 to 80 countries. Um, but we're going to be very systematic about our rollout on it. So we have our like batch zero, if you will, like ground floor, um, very, very well um, sussed out. We know who these folks are who are going to be the core node uh, deployment here happening rather uh, in short order. And then we're going to have a batch two, or, I'm sorry, batch one, a batch two, and then eventually batch three to extend the network. Yeah, and poss possibly a batch four. We're kind of uh, thinking about it. But, I, you know, I, I want to touch on what Benjamin said. We've, it's been one of the most heartwarming things to see people apply and they write their stories, why they want to get involved, what this means to them, uh, what Constellation means to them, why they think will be a, a winner in the space and, and lead to commercial viability. Um, and so, I, you know, at this point, uh, to kind of going off your decentralization, we aren't selecting uh, the, the node operators anymore. We selected uh, the first tier. And we've empowered them. Once again, our dedication to decentralization, we've empowered them to select the sub subsequential uh, uh, node operator batches. So I would say if you really want to get involved, yes, apply, but show up in our community. Start getting involved. See how you can help, how you can bring your background, your expertise, your uh, your network, um, your skill set to to building out Constellation uh, and our admins. We've got about 15 different admins that I work very, very closely with and have stand up meetings with uh, weekly. Um, they are they are empowered to to select um, new participation, new node operators. And so I highly recommend you kind of focus that inroad uh, beyond just reaching out to Constellation. So the so the node operators are vetting future node operators. That's correct. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, awesome. So and they are they are very diligent. They take it very seriously. It's not a nepotism thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's it, you know, hey, these are the reasons, and then they all discuss it, and uh, it's pretty awesome to see decentralized governance uh, occur uh, right in front of your eyes. So what are they vetting exactly? Like your ability to run a node or like your um, integrity when doing it? Like what what kind of things are they looking for? Yeah, I think there's an integrity, um, an understanding of the technology. Uh, is this about a get rich quick scheme? Is it, you know, are they, do they really understand the technology and what we're trying to do? Can they contribute offline resources? like design skills or um, influence in the community to spread the word or BD skills. Do you know somebody at uh, GM that could actually use this solution um, all the way to, can you advise like strategically or can you help manage a community from, you know, do, spreading FUD? And so they evaluate all these things to go, okay, you know, oh, this person's creating videos to explain Constellation. Constellation 
could be a very complicated technology to a lot of people, especially if you're just now understanding Bitcoin and just now understanding Ethereum. Now we're going, oh, forget all that. And, you know, as uh, cryptographically securing a financial instrument, and now we're talking about cryptographically securing data as the financial instrument, that's a big mind leap. So in order for us to scale and be successful, we have to have a vibrant community that understands what we're doing and can do a better job of telling that story. So when people come in and they want to be a node operator, it's kind of about what is your offline commitment to, to building this? Um, our community actually built our own, our, our, our Molly wallet that we released. Um, our native token wallet was created by a community member and they, they understood our vision and what we were trying to accomplish. Um, so there are many different ways to get involved and there are very clear paths uh, and paths to getting accolades. We are always, um, we're very aware of people's participation. We make a point to spread uh, appreciation and gratitude. What are those accolades? Um, sometimes we tip them in our, our currency, uh, DAG. And um, other ways, it's just acknowledgement through all of our different uh, marketing channels, Twitter, email, uh, you know, on Telegram. Um, it might be giving them access to information about what we're doing early on. Uh, so a lot of our admins have access to insight on uh, our, our technical roadmap and our business roadmap. Uh, and what we what we have coming down the pipeline, um, and so there's different ways. People have different incentives and motivations. When you run a, even when you run a business, understanding an employee or your business partner's incentives and motivations are the key to success. And the same thing is within managing and building the communities. You have to understand uh, the the individuals that are a part of your community, their incentives and motivations. So everybody's very different, and therefore their accolades are very, very different. Not everybody wants uh, DAG as, as appreciation. Some people want uh, acknowledgement that they are a leader within the Constellation community uh, and they are acknowledged as a leader in the co community. Others want uh, insight into our technology and how we articulate things because we are on the cusp of being one of the, the most innovative technologies out there that are tackling problems that people have failed at time and time again. And they want to hear what we're doing. Um, and so th there's kind of a mix of things, but those accolades come in different ways. And we make sure that we kind of, that we're agile in, in, in spreading those accolades. Yeah, absolutely. It, I think that's really important what you guys are doing too. Like I can tell you firsthand that building a engaged community um, is really, really important for growth and keeping people um, involved in what's going on. And I've, I've been involved with the crypto voxels community like in depth for well over a year at this point and shout out to them for being the number one dap in the world at the moment but yeah I can, I can tell you like having that community having that um base of people that are engaged and active in promoting uh, not only the network but also like where it's going in the future and everything that's going on spreading the word it's really important for the the viability of it Oh man, it, it, it's the heart and soul of Constellation. And I say that wholeheartedly, it is our heart and soul. It's what keeps us waking up and building what we're doing because it's tough. Uh, there's many aspects of this business that, that, uh, that are very new and nuanced uh, and having an engaged community helps, helps kind of you see the potential of what this is. It also gives you a real-time feedback loop. What are you doing right? What are you doing wrong? 
How do you fix that? Can they help fix it? Do they have a skill set that 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 we don't have internally? Um, it truly is uh, uh, the future of work. Um, these these communities are the future of work, which is actually a big big problem in, in America. And rethinking how we work and re- the remote workforce, uh, the crypto communities are a beacon of what the future of work could look like. Yeah, like the whole like remote work thing has definitely taken off for um, the later part of my generation and for the next one. Um, it's just so enticing when there's so many projects nowadays that you can do, like just not having to be in a cubicle or an office or locked away somewhere in a building. Um, it, no, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. How, how, how are you guys sourcing out like developers and everything? We have our own internal team uh, that represents the Constellation core team of developers. Uh, and then we work with various individuals within the communities that do anything from software testing um, you know, to, uh, you know, bug detection, bug squashing all the way to front end development, like, uh, you know, Vito, our community member that built, uh, the Molly wallet, which was named after his daughter. We let him to name it. And so, uh, we source in many different ways. It's not always just internal because that's also not how you grow as a company. Have you guys had any issues finding developers that are knowledgeable on blockchain? Cause I know that's been an issue for, for some projects. So our blockchain is, so I, I kind of decommoditize uh, blockchain because we're not technically a blockchain. We are, you know, we're, we're building out this DAG and the DAG, right. our, our network is built in Scala. And so finding Scala, which is a pretty new technology, uh, it's kind of hip in the developer communities is very difficult. Um, it has been difficult, but the people, you know, this, these things don't necessarily take, you know, a hundred developers to do, which actually can cause a delay in deployment of early stage technologies. I often see that many companies overstack engineering, which creates too much bureaucracy, too many egos at, at, at battle. Um, and so you want a core team that is agile, smart, and can get out your core features and functionalities that then open up to broader adoption and and more engineers that can come in. Uh, but yeah, it, it hasn't been easy. Um, I'm very grateful. I think we call our, like the, we call our, our engineers special ops, uh, because some are like getting their PhDs and stuff and, um, and they're just brilliant or some don't even have time to get PhDs, but there's very few people in the world that can do what they're doing. Uh, and we happen to have those people and, uh, and they've created one of the most incredible pieces of technology that could transform uh, multiple industries with our standard. Yeah, that's awesome. And no, you're totally right about that, too. You don't want like a huge group of developers or a whole huge team of developers because you probably wouldn't get anything done. You wouldn't come to consensus on anything. No, um, it, it takes a while to get to that scale. And you typically build on on demand and uh, product iterations and, you know, client um, client onboarding as well. And, uh, most, I would say all protocols that exist in the blockchain space do not have, they don't need the engineering support. If they have a large engineering team, they don't need it because the demand and utility of, of what enterprise companies are building or even consumers are building, it's not there for these massive armies of developers. Um, you also mentioned uh, DAG just a little bit ago. Um, is, is that your guys' native token? 
Yeah, DAG is our, our cryptocurrency. That is correct. Currently, uh, it's an ERC-20 token, uh, and we will be swapping that out for a mainnet uh, token, native token, uh, here in the coming month. Um, and we released recently our, our native wallet that uh, allows you to basically create your own address um, on the constellation Hypergraph, which is our, what our network is called. So DAG is our cryptocurrency, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, that functions um, across the, the Hypergraph network. And, and you have you can create your own address, like 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 a, with Ethereum, you can create like a dot ether address. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, we released this uh, recently that um, in, in anticipation of our mainnet swap, uh, ERC-20 token for a mainnet native token swap, uh, or, uh, that you can uh, download the Molly wallet, which I think is a complete and uh, an utter accomplishment, not only from the community, but in a, a vision towards commercial adoption of, of cryptocurrency and uh, it's very forward thinking and user design and being user friendly. Um, but where the, the wallet stands today is that you can download the, the wallet, uh, Linux, uh, Windows and Mac compatible, and you're able to create your own wallet um, that then can be mapped to like a smart contract for your native swap. But for people that are new into Constellation and learning about DAG, uh, really, the only functionality you can do today with the wallet is is create your own um, address, and this will be pertinent for your your native token. Um, our tokens traded across six exchanges uh, as an ERC twenty token. Um, we are traded across six exchanges, primarily on IDEX and KuCoin, and uh, KuCoin will will be our our main place to do uh, hosting our, our native token. Are you are you guys looking to integrate DAG with um, any other existing third party wallets like Jax or Ledger or Trezor? Yeah, absolutely. We already have some of our community members looking into that right now and and writing scripts uh, for those. So we absolutely will one one step at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely one step at a time. So we're kind of getting towards the end of um, the podcast, but. Um, I, I saw that you guys had a couple different like news pieces like on your website. Like one of them, you had a, a contract announcement with like the U.S. Air Force. Like, what, what's that entail? Yeah, so we we're really proud of that. I mean, um, to be very candid, when we set out with this project, we didn't all look at each other and think, you know what, we're going to go into the the federal market. Um, but what we noticed, and we've actually validated with others that have been in federal. Um, with the distributed ledger world is that, um, you know, commercial enterprise is really nervous around decentralization of their data for, for very good reasons. I mean, they look at it as IP, they look at it as a ROI. So when you come in trying to sell quote unquote blockchain, um, they, you know, they're a little bit more apprehensive and they scrutinize and they think, well, should we build this in house? And there's like kind of this confusion around like one protocol to rule them all. And are we picking the right one for us to you know, map our entire infrastructure around. And that takes a lot of education. So we spent a lot of time educating a ton of enterprise customers. Um, and now we've decided, hey, what if we, well, not now, about a year ago, we said, what if we put together a proposal for some of these data issues that the DOD is having with, namely the U.S. Air Force? So we uh, wrote what is called a SIBR or a, a SBIR 
um, phase one proposal, which in which we competed against other technologies within certain focus area topics. The one that we rounded on is multi-domain command and control, which is just a kind of a fancy way of saying legacy systems that come into a mission control that need to be interoperable for quick decisions against adversaries or whatever it may be. Um, mm -hmm. We saw that if we were able to secure that data, again, as close to the source, it'd be made uh, more available and open for these different constituents or, or domain, dom domains, if you will, to interact with each other. So we're proud to say we're one of two of the first companies to ever um, sign a working contract with the Department of Defense. And right now we're in um, a lot of exciting blockchain companies. Uh, blockchain companies, I apologize. Yeah. Um, we're in a lot of exciting conversations with multiple agencies within the DOD, um, not just the Air Force, because going back to multi-domain, it's not just about solving one problem for one group, but really setting that foundational kind of protocol infrastructure um, uh, paradigm to bringing these things together. So our work in Mobi is actually very, um, uh, it translates very nicely to this because again, it may not be the sexy application layer that everybody wants to talk about, but when you become the binding agent for which all these protocols come together, that standard, if you will, um, it really unlocks a lot of exciting stuff. So we're working with different groups within Air Mobility Command, Air Operations Control, Integrations Capabilities Teams, as well as models, uh, modeling and simulations, which is really important because those model and simulations groups um, often work heavily within the warfighting community as well. Maybe we can talk about decode as well. Is that, is oh yeah, yeah, better, yeah. And better. also another exciting thing that we're we're just involved in as of this week, we were uh, selected as one of twelve companies as part of the 2020 Spring Cohort for what is called Decode. And you can learn more about this at dcode.co. Decode.co. Um, it is a government-focused accelerator that's really uh, aimed at accelerating the procurement process and commercialization and adoption of emerging technologies. Um, with the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security, because largely they see that uh, the, the private sector is outpacing the public sector, yet all the bureaucracy that lives in between to absorbing these technologies is very cumbersome. So we're part of that cohort, which is only going to accelerate um, uh, uh, opportunities within the federal space. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot pretty quickly. That's awesome. We've been really fortunate. I mean, I'm going to be candid. We're a small team. Um, but to, to Ben's point, our best employee, our most powerful employee is the community. And they provide a lot of really great rigor and pushback on us so that we're tightening our game. We're tightening our messaging. If they don't get it, we're missing the mark. And that has been a godsend. Like, let's be honest. Without that, we would be kind of um, <laughs> trying to find our fit, but it's really helped. Not to mention, they're just a great group of cheerleaders. They're really rooting us on, and we feel like they're they're truly family. So we try to find ways to give them accolades and, and praise them as much as possible. But um, but yeah, we've done a lot in a short amount of time. And uh, but 2020 is a year of growth. By this time next year, um, it's going to be really fun to point out all the areas that we've been adopted and that were instrumental in government and in enterprise workflow. Yeah. So what does your roadmap look like for 2020? Like what kind of things are you working on or expecting to, to do? It's, it's a great coalescence right now. It's almost like I feel like I'm vibrating every day because we've been working at this for years and all this stuff is kind of coming to fruition. You know, namely our Molly wallet just coming out. We're starting to onboard node operators. Mainnet is, is going to scale this year. Um, and that's really largely on the technical side. But when you think of the business side, 
um, you know, we're going to deepen our relationships with these contracts with the, the DOD um, to be core to that focus. We're going to continue our standardization um, uh, approach with Mobi as well as uh, those in the mobility sector. Um, but I do see us starting to expand into other markets that largely we're not looking at right now. I mean, Ben is very passionate about connected cities, you know, those threat vectors. If we're foundational, you know, you think about a skyscraper going up, there's a lot of parts that need to go in there as a standard to ensure that it's earthquake resistant, that the water flows cleanly and all that. We just want to be that middleware solution that's top of mind when dev uh, developers are uh, deploying new projects that require that level of scale. And we believe every our, our security and we believe everything should have that level of security because we're going to be living in a different world here very soon. Yeah. On the, on the engineering front, really quick, uh, what we're, we'll be rolling, the, the Molly wallet is our first thing to roll out this year and really our first piece of software that's tangible in a digital sense. Um, and there's going to be a lot of iteration and growth there as I, I really see that as a, a portal uh, and path to the commercialization of not just DAG as a as a currency, but but also empowering people to manage data. And there's going to be a lot more to come over that in the next year, as it's a pretty big vision um, that relates to what we talked about in the beginning here around data breaching and people's uh, companies perversely using our data to their benefit and us not having control over our own data. I think we're going to, we're inviting the return for people to own that. And our Molly wallets kind of the first touch point um, where that goes from where our technology roadmap goes from here is launching our main net uh, within the next two months um, onboarding node operators, our foundational nodes. So if you're interested, get in fast um, because it's going to happen really quick. Uh, and then it's going to be releasing application support. So what this means is giving tools to developers uh, to start building or incorporating cybersecurity in their in in their uh, their workflows early on, um, and then empowering our community to build use cases around data enriched data feeds that can be used in AI and machine learning. And then towards the end of the year, we'll be launching our, our light nodes. So there will be another opportunity for people to participate in our network by being a part of our, our light nodes. Um, yeah, I'll definitely check out the uh, the Molly wallet as well. So you guys mentioned it a bunch. Um, do you, where do you find that? Like, is it just on your website? Yep, it's on the website. Uh, it's on under one of our technology tabs. You can find out more about about Molly and our vision there. Uh, which is, as I said, we're we're really bringing the wallet to the forefront. Where I think a lot of companies have pushed it to the back and seen it as like, mm-hmm. you know, well, it just you know, it, it handles your your keys and your currency. We want it to be a portal to our worldview uh, and provide deeper inter- engagement within our community. Uh, and there will be a lot more coming out throughout the year around that. So, where can I find this community? Is it on Discord or Slack or? Uh, we're, all, we're both on Discord and Telegram, mm-hmm. um, so I'm happy to, you know, we'll definitely hopefully post some links there, uh, but in our Telegram, it's Constellation Community is the official uh, uh, channel, and, and that's where, you know, we all are very transparent. We drop in, we communicate uh, along the lines of all of our admins. Most companies, uh, their executive team doesn't participate, and they just treat it like a like a, a marketing channel, but for us, it's a, a way to get real feedback and build real relations and, and find the potential to build this. So, yeah, I'll definitely jump into that community and 
um, say hi at some point here. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything that you guys want uh, the audience or anyone that'll be listening to be aware of um, regarding what you guys have done recently with Constellation or that you have coming up? Well, I think we kind of laid out a, a lot of things in the pipeline. But, I mean, there will be definitely a lot more coming in and our engagement with the Department of Defense um, that we'll be releasing. And uh, and I think that will open up how big of a vision Constellation is. Uh, and you'll start to see adoption in completely different ways. Um, it's a very big vision that's, that's sometimes difficult to bite off in the beginning. Uh, but one thing I want to leave you with is, in, the, in your community is that you know, we, we believe in a shift in ownership of data, that data should be governed by a community. Uh, it should be co- uh, secured and organizations should be accountable for the security of data, which has been very loose today. So I think we have a, a ability to impact a, a dramatic change on, on how we see the world and how people uh, leverage uh, data for their own benefit. Yeah, totally. Ben, Benjamin, Ben squared. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you guys for coming on and taking the time to share more about what you guys are doing at Constellation. Well, thank you, Brandon. I really appreciate it. This has been awesome uh, chance for us to express our vision. Yeah. I'm glad to have you guys on and happy to have you guys on again in the future too. Once you guys do some of this other stuff as well and we can continue talking about it. But again, thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Much appreciated, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thanks. All right. Sounds good.